This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3305 for Friday, the 2nd of April 2021. Today's show is entitled, Nagios Part 2. It is hosted by Norist and is about 24 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, follow-up TPHPR3264 notifications, SNMP, remote checks. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. feedback on my first Nagios episode. So the only reasonable explanation for that is that I perfectly explained what Nagios is and what it does and the installation instructions that I provided were flawless. So uh, no one had any questions or comments. So I'm going to move on to some additional Nagios topics. One thing I forgot to talk about in the intro is some reasons you may want to use Nagios. Why, why is Nagios interesting to a hobbyist? So first, uh, it's just learning something new for the sake of learning something new. To me, to me, that's always fun. I always, always want to know something about everything. Uh, related is that Nagios, or network monitoring in general, is a pretty valuable IT skill. So... If you work in IT or you want to work in IT, um, generally knowing how network monitoring works is a positive. And depending on the position you take or the company you work at for, uh, knowing Nagio specifically will probably help. Um, then outside of just knowledge, you know, some practical benefits of Nagios around the house is, um, you know, one, it, it might help you detect some early signs of equipment failure. So if you're monitoring a device and you start noticing that pings are occasionally dropping or something like that, you may, you may get the idea that, you know, it's not, it's not working like it's supposed to, or if you see disk errors or disks getting full, you know, that could be a, a sort of an early warning that you may have some hardware to replace. Um, next is, you know, monitoring uh, self-hosted ac- applications. So if you have a VPN set up or version of Bone Cloud or something, and you you want some notification that these things are down before you try to use them, you know something like Nagios can help. And then um, I use Nagios at home for one of the big things I use it for is my home security system. I have a lot of um, IP cameras. You know, I have like ring cameras outside and I have some Amcrest cameras inside the house. Um, and I, I want to know, you know, when those things stop working. Uh, it'd be nice to know before I go to look at something uh, to know that they were down. So um, 
that one of the devices or a group, a class of devices that I monitor are my network cameras. So far, every camera I bought at least responds to a ping, so they can all be monitored by Nagios. And earlier when I was talking about pushover, you know, I said that you can assign the pushover contact to some services, not every service. So what I'll do is I'll assign the pushover contact um, to the security devices that I, you know, deem the most critical. Then I'll get a, a notification on my phone if they go offline, if the battery dies, or if the switch actually accidentally gets turned off or something like that. So there's a a lot of benefits to learning Nagios, but none of them are really specific to Nagios itself. So there's plenty of other options out there for monitoring. All of them are worth exploring. You know, if you're looking for an alternative to Nagios, there are Nagios forks. Um, Asinga is probably the, the most well-known fork of Nagios. Um, and then there's some other um, network monitoring tools. There's plenty of others. Um, a couple others that I, I recommend. Um, one is if you have a Windows server, uh, there's a network monitoring program called PRTG. That's a, it's a commercial program. It's not free or free software or anything like that, but it does have a free tier. Um, you can do up to X number of checks, and I don't remember how many checks it is, but you can do X number of checks for free. And I like it because it's it's really simple to use and it's really simple to set up. Um, really, the the downsides are that it requires Windows and that it it's uh, non-free. Uh, the other recommendation I can make if you're just looking for an alternative to Nagios, especially if you're using Kubernetes or Docker, is Prometheus, uh, which is really good at collecting data and it has something called Alert Manager which lets you alert off the data that's collected. Unfortunately, spammers have ruined the ability to send emails directly. Um, because spam from malware is such a problem, a lot of ISPs block uh, sending email by blocking outbound port 25. Uh, all the residential ISPs do it and even some of the hosting providers do it. But even if your hosting provider doesn't block outbound port 25, most mail servers are not going to accept mail from a, a IP range that's known to be a residential IP range or a BPS, just because the risk of those emails being spam is so high. So there's a few ways to get around not being able to send email directly. Um, I use an email sending service. Um, the one, the particular one I use is called SendGrid. Um, and then what they do is SendGrid goes through all the work of keeping themselves off the blacklist of known spammers. And most email servers will accept email that's sent via SendGrid. So I'm not going to go into the specific instructions for configuring PostFix to relay email via SendGrid, uh, but the SendGrid documentation is really good. And if that's the service you choose to use, their, their documentation will set, uh, walk you through 
setting up uh, postfix to relay via SendGrid. The other thing you'll need to do is you'll need to make sure that the address you're sending to has a good alias. So by default, um, Nagio sends its alerts to the Nagio's admin at localhost. So you'll need to make sure you have a, a good email alias set up to forward the emails from Nagios admin to a mailbox that you're watching. There's uh, plenty of other s services out there like SendGrid, uh, including uh, Amazon has a simple mail service, and there's things like MailChimp. If, if you look around, there there's probably plenty of options. And I think most of them have a free tier. Um, so I, I've never had to pay for my Nagios checks. So unless you're just blasting out uh, alerts hundreds a day, you can probably stay within the free tier of most of these mail providers. So besides uh, email notification, there's a couple other notification options you can use specifically if you want to get alerts on your phone. Probably the simplest thing to do to get uh, some Nagios alerts on your phone is to install the Android app called ANAG, A-N-A-G. Uh, and what that does is that's an Android app, like I said, it connects directly to the Nagios UI just like you would in the browser. And then it can periodically check the status of uh, Nagios and generate notifications, phone notifications, based on the status of the Nagios checks. One of the downsides to ANAG is that the phone has to be able to directly connect to the Nagio server. So if the Nagio server is on a private network, you may need a VPN or something to connect to the Nagio server from your phone. And you might be tempted to put Nagios on the public internet, and th that's okay. Uh, Nagios itself is secure, but it, it can be considered a security risk if... Um, someone is able to brute force your Nagios password, they can get a lot of information about uh, your network. So if you decide to put Nagios on the public internet, take security very seriously. Um, I recommend only using uh, HTTPS and only ever logging in to Nagios via HTTPS. And if you need help setting up uh, Apache with HTTPS. Uh, there's a lot of good guides out there, and there's even tools like CertBot that can set up the Let's Encrypt certificate for you and configure Apache for you. Another option for getting push alerts on your phone is a push notification service. Again, there's a there's a few of these, uh, but I use one called Pushover. It's uh, at pushover.net. I like to use the Pushover app. It's at pushover.net. It's a commercial service, but instead of paying monthly or per push notification, you pay $5 in the Play Store whenever you download the app. And there is a free trial if you want to try it. Uh, right now it's 30 days. It's been seven days in the past, but I'm sure whenever you get to look at it, if it's what you want to use, they'll, they'll have some free time for you to try it out. So to use Pushover with Nagios, we need to add a uh, Pushover contact 
to the Nagios configs. Um, so when a notification is sent to the new pushover contact, the contact will the contact definition will run a script that calls the pushover API via curl. So I'm sure you remember from the previous Nagios episode that in Etsy Nagios there's a conf.d directory where you can put any config file and Nagios will load it as long as it's named .cfg, something.cfg. Nagios will find all the files in that directory and load them. So we'll create a file called pushover.cfg, uh, put it in there, and then uh, restart Nagios. Uh, the contents of the, I'm not going to bore you by reading out the contents of the pushover.cfg, but it'll be in the show notes. If you want to use pushover for some specific checks, you can just add the contact to that check. To it, you can add it to a single check or multiple checks. Or if you want to make all your notifications via pushover, you can modify the template definition that's used for the host and services and change the contact from the default to pushover. One of the benefits of Nagios is that you can write your own checks. So if there's not a plugin for what you want to monitor, is if you can write a script for it, Nagios can check it. So remember in the previous episode that I mentioned the status of the Nagios checks are based on exit code. So if you run the script and it exits with zero, that's a okay. And if it exits with one, that's a warning. And if it exits with two, that's critical. So to write a custom check, uh, you just need to write a script that performs the check and then does some logic to figure out the exit code and exits based on the result of the logic check. So as an example, I'll, I'll use a custom check that I wrote recently. Um, I have a server that collects syslog from, from around the network and occasionally, I don't know why, the syslog daemon just stops running. So instead of trying to figure out what's wrong with my syslog server, I just wrote a script um, to check that the syslog file is actually being written to and updated. So the script looks for the expected log file. It's got the date and the name, so it looks for, you know, whatever today's date.log. Uh, and then it tests that the file has been modified within the last few minutes. The script will exit zero if the syslog file is less than a minute old. It'll exit 1, which is a warning, if it's less than 10 minutes old. Uh, and it'll exit 2, which is critical, if it's more than 10 minutes old or if it can't find the file at all. And then since the server with the crashy syslog bits isn't on the same server as Nagios, uh, we have to be able to check, we have to be able to run the script on a remote system. Nagios has a few different ways to run commands on remote servers. Um, I prefer to use SSH, so that's the only one I'm going to talk about. Uh, there are some disadvantages to using SSH. Specifically, uh, SSH is kind of a heavy co network connection when compared to some of the other options. Um, so if you have a lot of checks to do, you may want to look at something different than execute by SSH.
So there's a check by SSH plugin uh, that's used to check commands on remote systems. Uh, typically what you'll do is you'll set up SSH key authentication from the user that's running Nagios. And in most cases, the username is Nagios. So what you want is you want the Nagios user to be able to log into the remote system without any, without having to pass a password. And again, one cool thing about Nagios plugins and Nagios checks is they can all be tested um, outside of Nagios. So you can try the command before you set it up in Nagios to make sure it's working. So to test running a remote plugin via SSH, you can uh, CD to the uh, plugins directory uh, and then run the check by SSH script with some flags, uh, dash H for the host, dash U for the user, and then dash capital C for the path to the check on the remote server. So now that you've verified the syntax to the check by SSH command that you want to use, you can add that to the to a command file in the nagios.conf.d directory. Again, I'm not going to bore you by reading off Nagios configs, but the uh, example will be in the show notes. So now that you've added the command definition, you can use the check syslog age command as a service check for one of your hosts. And the script I'm using to check the syslog date will be in the show notes. Not that you would have a this specific use, but you can look and see how I'm doing the test and how I structured the logic of the script. So another common use for Nagios or another common method for monitoring servers is via SNMP. Uh, SNMP is really complicated and honestly I have some mixed feelings about using it. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I just can't go into all the different variations and versions of SNMP or all the different SNMP authentication options. But I will show you how to get a minimal setup working so you can monitor uh, a few things via SNMP. And I want to give you guys a warning. The SNMP authentication option that I am going to demonstrate to you today is only appropriate for isolated networks. If you plan on using SNMP over a public network, uh, I highly recommend looking at some more secure versions of SNMP or even tunneling your SNMP traffic over SSH or a VPN. If you want to know more about SNMP, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert, but um, one of my very favorite tech authors, Michael Lucas, just recently released a book called SNMP Mastery. Um, it, it's a good book. It goes into a lot of details. It'll, if you need to know how to use SNMP securely, this is the source you need. So first we'll talk about the clients or the servers being monitored. We'll talk about the setup on the on those. So on Ubuntu it's easy. Just apt install SNMPD. And we need to make a few changes to the config file. Um, by default, SNMPD only listens on localhost. 
So uh, you'll have to replace the snmp.conf. Uh, I'll have an example in the show notes of the snmp.conf that I use. Um, so it, it changes the listening address to all IP addresses. And it also sets a read-only community string. And again, using community strings is insecure. Don't do it over the internet. And then finally on the clients, um, restart SNMPD. And um, if you're using a firewall, uh, you'll need to open up the SNMPD port um, 161. And again, last morning, if you're putting it on the internet, don't do it this way. So now we'll talk a little bit about setting up the checks in, in Nagios. Um, if you remember from the last episode, we talked about um, this directory. It's an Etsy Nagios plugin slash config. Uh, there's a lot of checks that are already set up for you. Remember, just a second ago when we were talking about the custom script, we had to write our own command that went along with a custom script. That's not what the case with um, these SNMP checks. They're already defined for you. So if you look in that snmp.cfg in the plugins directory in Etsy, um, you can look through that file and get an idea of all the different checks you can do via SNMP. Uh, I'll have an example of some client configuration using SNMP um, in the show notes. Um, you can look through those as, as well and get an idea of how the command def definitions are used. Um, most of the SNMP definitions require or can take arguments. Whenever you need to pass a command, an argument, um, that argument is represented in the check by a placeholder, um, with, which is um, arg1 in dollar signs. In a lot of cases, the arguments are optional. Um, these SNMP checks, they require the, the community string, and then some of the disk checks require an argument of the disk number, so the you know, disk one or disk two. In the service checks definitions, the arguments that you pass to the commands are separated by exclamation points. Uh, you can also see that in the example. Also in the examples, you can see how I add additional contacts, the pushover contacts. And I have an example of how to change the number of check attempts. Normally the default is five, but if you want to, um, a check will have to fail five times before you get an alert, but if you want to change that to one, that's the check interval. You can see that in the example. Uh, and then also, I have an example of changing the frequency of the check from the default of five minutes to one minute. Another thing I like to do with Nagios is um, use it to monitor any remote servers I have for security updates. Um, so Nagios has plugins that can check to see if system updates are required. And it can tell you um, things like the number of updates um, and the check will be critical if any of the updates are security related. And it can also tell you if a re reboot is required because you've updated the kernel but you're not running the latest kernel. 
So the check plugin has to be installed on the remote server. Um, for Debian-based systems, the name of the plugin is nagios-plugins-contrib. And that's a big package. It'll come with a lot of checks, um, more than just the one for checking uh, if you need apt updates. And then on Red Hat-based systems, the name of the plugin is nagios-plugins-check-updates. Uh, the command definitions for how to run it are listed in the show notes. Um, these plugins take a little while to run, longer than typical. So you'll see in the example where I set the timeout with the dash T flag to 120 seconds, just to give it some extra time to do all the checks it has to do. That's uh, that's probably all the Nagios I can handle uh, for now. So uh, if you have any comments or questions, leave them under the episode. And uh, I, again, thanks for thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.